The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today, we're going to talk about mentoring, a hot topic among a lot of people. Now, we use a lot of different words, mentoring, advocacy, sponsorship, and so much has been discussed about all of these and the importance of finding the right mentor or the right sponsor. And lots of people will say to me that one mentor usually isn't enough. And in fact, many people talk about having a board of directors notion where you've got different people who help you with different needs. Today's show, though, I want to focus on three specific questions. The first one I want to talk about is both how do you find a mentor and how do you build that relationship and what should a relationship really look like? What's the progress of it? And then second, we're going to talk about what it means to be a great mentor and if you are mentoring others, what you should be doing. Now, that's also a guide for the mentees to understand what they should be expecting from their mentors. And then finally, I want to talk a little bit about mentoring across the divides, across the generations, across the cultures, and across genders. Now, with me today is Lois Zachary. Lois is an internationally recognized expert on mentoring, one of the top 100 minds in leadership today. She's written a book, The Mentor's Guide, that has become a primary source for organizations and mentors. And if that is not enough, we have another recent book called Starting Strong, a mentoring fable that describes what a really great mentoring relationship looks like from the inside. So you can get a sense of what the experience is. In addition, she has a book called Creating a Mentoring Culture. She has the Mentee's Guide, and she has five mentoring excellence pocket toolkits that help people progress through the process of mentoring and over 100 published articles. She's the president of Leadership Development Services based in Phoenix, and she works with Fortune 500 companies, government organizations, educational institutions, featured in every publication you can imagine, from New York Times to Forbes to Fast Company, and the list goes on. Lois, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm very glad to be with you and very excited to be talking about a topic that I'm very passionate about, which is mentoring. All right. Well, I'm excited about it because we talk, we use the word a lot, but we don't often get very much detail on what should it really look like? What should we be doing? How should we be thinking about it? So let's. I want to start with some language here first. Um, some people use the word mentor. Some people use the word sponsorship. Some people use other words. Kind of. Do you make a distinction between them, or is it just all semantics? Uh, I think we get tripped up on semantics. And my experience is the word mentor 
and mentoring is almost used promiscuously. It's a label that people often just put on any development activity. And it's important to distinguish between mentoring and other professional development opportunities. Okay, so how do you distinguish it in its ideal form, in your definition? Okay, so there are some really key concepts that we have to think about when we think about mentoring. And um, I want to take you through those, but let me go first to what's the distinction between mentoring and coaching? So often those two words are used interchangeably. I like to look at them as kindred spirits and that um, all mentors are coaches or do coaching, but not all coaches are mentors. So when we coach, we talk about boosting performance in the present. When we talk about mentoring, we focus on the future, future possibilities, future development, and here is what the key word is. Key word is development. So in order to get to the future, in order to really help someone develop goals that will help them enhance their professional development, you may, as a mentor, engage in coaching. And in fact, Wanda, coaching is a mentoring skill. Some people use the word mentor as counseling. Counseling requires intervention techniques. Some people equate mentoring, use the word buddy for mentoring. So there are a lot of different words, but the key thing here, and I want to go back to the the definition of mentoring, which I alluded to, is it's a reciprocal learning relationship in which the mentee and the mentor are both learning. And in fact, the mentor often learns more than the mentee does. So it's reciprocal. It's a relationship. And so we all know that it takes time, it takes patience, it takes thought to develop a really effective relationship and a sustaining relationship. So you not only have to build it, but you have to work at strengthening it. When we think about mentoring, we think about a partnership. So it's not a one-down relationship. We're talking here about a relationship in which the mentee is an active learner and the mentor is in the role of the facilitator. So it's not that old notion of the mentor as the stage on the stage, but rather the guide on the side. It's about collaboration. It's collaboration in the sense that the bigger, bolder ideas come out because of the conversation between a mentor and a mentee. Mentoring is also focused on achievement of mutually defined learning goals, which takes conversation and really helps a mentee hone that and develop what we call SMART goals, and certainly to the development of one's thinking, one's ideas, one's skills, one's competence, one's confidence. And so that's kind of the robust definition of mentoring. And certainly it is differentiated from other development activities. Okay, so you're describing this as a fairly deep relationship that we've really gotten to trust each other, know each other, tell the truth to each other, and genuinely collaborate. But I think, Rhonda, this idea of telling the truth, you've really hit on a 
important hot button here. One of the roles of a mentor is to make the mentee comfortable enough to be uncomfortable because it's from that uncomfortable that that stretch of learning happens. So a mentee will naturally want to present their best self to a mentor. And as a mentor, it's important to develop that trust so that a mentee can reveal themselves, can feel comfortable being vulnerable, because unless that happens, the mentor ends up mentoring an imposter, somebody who's showing only their best self and not willing to share their vulnerabilities as well as their strengths. Does that make sense? That makes tons of sense. I love that mentoring an imposter. Boy, do I see a lot of that going. Okay, so in most of the organizations that I work with, they have mentoring programs in which people can sign up in the program and they will get assigned a mentor. And the, you know, some modest attempt is made, sometimes deeper, but sometimes often very modest, to align something, commonality or a goal or something. Do those kind of programs work? So can you, I wanted to say a little bit more about that so I get the context of what you're saying. Well, can I, so I often think that assigned mentors don't just progress as well as they should because you got to have a relationship in where there's enough connection that you're willing to build the trust. And if you're lucky enough to have a mentor assigned to you whom you've never met before that you can connect with, maybe good things will happen. But I'm interested in your view. Do you think an assigned mentor is effective? I think it depends, and it a lot depends on the organizational context and the organizational culture. And so um, we find that where it's possible to allow a mentee to have some voice and choice is important. So what we recommend is if you're going to be doing some matching in the organization, rather than putting people together because they are near each other or putting people together because um, it seems like they would like each other, uh, it's important to get some baseline information. So baseline information about what it is that the mentee wants to learn and why they want to learn it and why they think a mentor could help them. And then also to get information from the mentor in terms of what talents and strengths they could bring to a mentoring relationship. So the important concept here, if you are pairing mentors and mentees, is to look for what we call learning fit. Is there a fit between what it is that the mentee needs to learn and what the mentor has to offer? So often having a committee look at these applications and try and put together the best fit uh, would work. Another idea and something that's often used is to have some kind of a gathering and have potential mentors and mentees eat, meet each other. Sometimes it's almost done as a flash mentoring session, like speed dating, and then at the end of the session, mentees will write down their top three preferences 
And then the mentoring committee or the structure, the core team, would check with the mentor to make sure that the mentor is comfortable enough and feels that it would be a good learning fit as well. So it's really important that you don't overburden any one person with too many mentors. And it's also important that you have a good learning fit and that the mentor, besides being willing and well-intended, has sufficient time to engage in the mentoring relationship. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay, so take us through what an ideal mentoring relationship looks like. You know, what are the phases, what needs to happen? And I love this point about that we have to be comfortable enough to be uncomfortable. So describe what the process should really look like. All right, well, the process is a series of conversations. So remember before I said the mentor was the guide on the side and the mentee is an active learner. So if you think about the best conversations you've ever had and and identify those criteria and use those as guidelines for your mentoring conversation, it will take you through the four phases of mentoring. So let me say a little bit about the four phases of mentoring. The first phase is preparing the relationship. And there are two parts to that, Wanda. The first part is about preparing yourself. So looking whether you're a mentor or a mentee, to do some self-reflection and as a mentor to realize that this is a great time for you to identify what are those skills that you bring to the mentoring relationship and what are those things that you could get better at. So it's an opportunity for you to, to work on those skills as well. Then what you want to do is you want to be able to prepare the relationship. And I think one of the most important pieces here is getting to know your mentoring partner, not just their name, rank, and serial number, their department, where they're from, but who they are as people. Because as a mentor, you're going to need to be able to walk in their shoes. If you don't, can't walk in their shoes, then you're going to be, able, be making assumptions that may not be correct assumptions, and it may not be guiding them in the right way. So really spending time to get to know who they are as people. You also want to talk about mentoring and ask them about their mentoring experiences and let them engage with you around that. That gives you a common ground and some things to talk about. You're also going to begin to talk about what are those starter goals, what are those broad goals that that mentee wants to learn about. So it's really getting to know you, understanding each other, um, and sharing who the mentee and who the mentor are as learners because you're in this learning partnership together. So then we move into the second phase after preparing the relationship, and that's establishing agreements. So that's where you take these broad starter goals and you have conversation that will enable you to develop SMART goals, goals that are specific, goals that are measurable, action-oriented, they're realistic, and they are time-bound. They can be accomplished within the time frame of the mentoring relationship. You also spend time talking about what I call accountability assurances, and there are three of these. 
One are the ground rules that you're going to be using for the relationship. The second has to do with confidentiality agreements. What does that mean to you inside the relationship? And the next thing you want to talk about is boundaries. What are the places that you don't want to go? Where are you overstepping boundaries? So to lay that out on the table and also talk about your hot buttons. What are the things that irk each of you? And get that out on the table so that that doesn't trip up the relationship. So all that forms kind of a mentoring agreement. And if you do a good job with that, then you're ready to develop a work plan because the work plan is going to give you the momentum and is going to push you forward. So we've talked about two phases. The third phase is facilitating the relationship or enabling growth. This is the longest phase of the mentoring relationship. It's the time of the highest highs. It's the time of the lowest lows. It's sometimes when people get bored, when the relationship fizzles out. So you're going to want to keep this fresh and vibrant. So that means as a mentor, you're going to support your mentee. You're going to look for ways to support them. You're going to help them articulate, clarify, and move towards their future vision for themselves personally and professionally. And it also means that this is the time when you're going to challenge the mentee because it's in that challenge that the growth will occur. It's also when you're going to be giving feedback. So it's going to be important that you set the expectation for feedback and that you ask for feedback yourself, and that way you'll model it so the mentee can be an active uh, learner and ask for what they need. And it's also when you're going to be doing an accountability check-in to make sure you're using your time well, to make sure that you're focusing on those development goals, that you're making progress. So we've talked about preparing the relationship. We've talked about establishing agreements. We've talked about facilitating learning. And the final phase is called coming to closure. It's when you look back and you move forward. So instead of having a relationship fizzle out, this is a really important phase of the relationship because it's when you reflect on what you've learned. And not only do you come to a learning conclusion, what you've learned, but you talk about how to integrate it. How are you going to leverage that? Let's say as a mentee, you learned how to ask for feedback. How do you continue to do that in the workplace? And then out of that, one of the things that you want to have happen in this phase is not just to close the door and move off into the sunset. The idea here is while it's coming to closure, it's also opening the door to new possibilities. So you never want a mentee to leave the relationship without helping them explore what are their next development opportunities, what are their next development steps. So this is a mentoring cycle, and even if your mentoring relationship is continuing for several years, it's important to have a closure conversation that includes also celebration, but also redefining the relationship. And you may decide to start again and work on more goals, but you want to work your way through the cycle so it's fresh, it's on point, and you're going to maximize the time that you spend together. So those are the four phases, Wanda. 
Wow, that's a lot of work. And now I know why a lot of mentoring relationships don't work out so well. So how much time do you expect to spend in the first two where you're preparing the relationship and establishing agreements? Is that a single meeting? Is that What's the average there? Okay, so I can say there's no average. It depends on how, how well you know your mentee. We're working with a group right now, and people know each other kind of in a acquaintance way, uh, and you contrast that with somebody, a mentoring pair, that they know nothing about one another. Um, so it, it, it varies. In our book, Starting Strong, we have an example of where a mentee and a mentee, mentor have exchanged information. The mentor has asked the mentee some questions. The mentee has responded so that's going to be fodder for their first conversation. And in what, in a sense, that's going to jumpstart it. But okay. you're going to continue to, it's not just, okay, in the beginning we're going to get to know each other. That getting to know each other is going to be deeper as the relationship conversations continue. The establishing agreements might happen in the same city. It might not. Again, it's how... How much time have you agreed to spend together on a mentoring uh, session? So if you've blocked out two hours, you probably are going to be able at least to get to part of establishing agreements. Okay. So it may be one conversation. It may be two conversations. It may even be three conversations. Okay. So what you want to do is to get the mentee engaged in the conversation. Okay. and to guide them through it. So it may be that you have a conversation and maybe there's an assignment. Okay, so let's uh, go back, and, and how do you think we can move this forward now that we've had this conversation? What might our timeline look like? And then you have a meeting to discuss the timeline. It is so important not to jump into mentoring before you've done this work. In Starting Strong... The case study that is in there, or the fable, is a story of a guy who wants to get started. He doesn't want to start with any of this soft stuff. He's ready to get to work. And if you get to work without doing this, you're not going to be able to balance the learning and the relationship. You have to remember that learning is the purpose, it's the process, and it's the product of mentoring. It's why you do it, it's how you do it, and it's the payoff. And you cannot have good learning unless you've established trust and built the relationship. If the relationship has gone south, then it's going to slow down the learning. Okay. That makes a strong point about the importance of trust because I certainly do see an awful lot of people who have a mentor and then they won't tell that mentor what's really going on. So the learning now is very curtailed. They'll end up spending time talking about things like the company strategy and the view of the strategy of the market, but that's not about learning for the individual against the individual's objectives and goals. Now, in your experience, how long do mentoring relationships last? Are they three months on average, two years on average? Kind of what's your normal expectation? 
Well, again, it would depend on what the company, for example, what the company's goal is. Some companies have two-year mentoring programs. Most frequently we see year-long mentoring programs. Some organizations have six-month mentoring programs. Sometimes they ramp up with a proof-of-concept or pilot that might be six months to kind of test it out. We recommend that... um, Whatever that plan is, uh, that it's, and, and the goals that individuals develop are workable within that time frame. Right. So don't forget that part of, and this relates to your previous question, that part of all of this is about mentee self-awareness and helping a mentee become more self-aware and to realize more possibilities for themselves. So what may happen, particularly in an informal mentoring relationship or, or in a mentoring relationship within a program, people start working on goals. And what happens is what I call sleeper goals emerge. So they're working on goals, and all of a sudden they realize that goals, that they can't get that, those goals accomplished until they work on other goals, and these are goals that have always been there below the surface, but all of a sudden the realization and the rubber has hit the road and they realize, I cannot work on that goal until I work on another goal before that. So then you really have to adjust it. So if in your mentoring program you leave the flexibility for the mentees and mentors to develop the time frame, that's great. We're working with a program now where that was a one-year program, and the program has come to closure, but the relationships have been redefined. People individually have redefined the relationships to continue working on their goal. Okay. So I would say there's no hard and fast rule, but you don't want to have a mentoring relationship continue when you're just having cup, you're just having coffee. And you're not working on a goal. And you're not working. <clears throat> All right. So this is not just about coffees once a quarter. This is about having a learning objective, <laughs> clearly defined, and we're working towards it. Okay, Lois, we're going to take a break at this point. With me today is Lois Zachary, one of the top 100 minds in leadership, and she's a world expert on mentoring. The book is The Mentor's Guide, is the most popular one, but you have just heard her speak about starting strong a mentoring fable that describes a mentoring relationship from the inside and all sorts of references for helping you get to be a mentee, to be a mentor, and the skills that are needed along the way. When we come back, I want to talk about the mentor's role and what the mentor needs to be doing. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Lois Zachary, one of the world's experts on mentoring, and we have just been talking about the cycle of a mentoring relationship. So several phases. First off, Lois is going to define mentoring as a reciprocal learning relationship where both people learn And it's a relationship where the mentor can push the mentee into a zone of uncomfortableness in order to grow. That takes trust, some depth, some time. And the four phases to create a really strong relationship, a mentoring relationship, are one, preparing the relationship, meaning getting to know each other, some self-reflection, what do I want, what are my starter goals, and so forth. Two is established agreements that include things like ground rules, confidentiality, boundaries, and hot buttons. So we're really clear about what's going to work and not work in this relationship. Three is then facilitating the relationship and doing the growth. And that's the part that's going to be easy in times and really difficult at times where you'd give feedback, where you'd challenge, where you ask for feedback, a whole range of things. And then the fourth one is um, preparing closing coming to a close where you actually reflect, you stop to notice what do we do and what do we not do. And Lois, as we or learn and not learn, as we go through that description, Lois, it strikes me how thoughtful that process is. And it makes me understand why so many mentor relationships don't deliver in the value they could deliver because we're not as careful about the process, as thoughtful about setting it up. So I really find, like your framework. What I want to turn to, though, now is to talk about the role of the mentor. So I get that the mentee has to do some self-reflection, has to come prepared to talk about themselves and to open up and to build trust, and that they have to have some goals, some objectives that they want to achieve and be willing to learn about them. But what's the mentor's job? You said it's a learning guide, but can you say more? Okay, well, let me say thank you very much for that summary. I think you captured it well. And I think the, the one of the key things here is a good intention does not make for a good mentor. It does take work. 
and you need to know that. So I would say that there are 10 things that mentors can do to accelerate the learning and to be effective in the role. I alluded to it before, the importance of getting to know your mentee, to start by that, to make sure that you take time to get to know your mentee before you jump into the work because nothing of substance is going to happen until you establish a trusting relationship. So that's important to remember. Definitely to establish working agreements because that's going to be the foundation of your relationship. You can always come back to that if things go off the rail and to keep yourself centered. So build in basic structures about how you're going to work together moving forward and make sure that your mentee has bought into and has ownership of that. Definitely keep the focus on robust learning goals. So make sure that the mentee's learning goals are worthy of your time and action. And this is going to take good conversation. This is so key. And while in the last segment we talked about the length of time for the first two phases, probably what extends the length the most is this idea of moving from starter goals to smarter goals because it's in that conversation that helps a mentee gain clarity. As a mentor, you want to balance talking and listening. So it's easy and it's natural to want to give advice because you've been there, you've done that. But in my experience, mentees want more than good advice. They want you to listen to their ideas as much as they want to hear what you have to say. And so this is really key. And what all of our research shows and other studies have validated is that listening is the number one thing that mentees say they value the most in a relationship. Here's another best practice, and that is to ask questions rather than give answers. And this is key because if you take out the time, take the time to draw out a mentee's thinking and get them to reflect on their own experience, they're going to discover the answers themselves. If you're always giving them the answers, they're not going to learn to fish. So the key here is to ask probing questions that encourage a mentee to come up with their own insights. So I always tell people, your role as a facilitator is to ask questions that help people that help people grasp and come to new insights. The next is to engage in meaningful and authentic conversation. So we talked about conversation and conversation as a balancer between the relationship and learning. So you don't want surface conversation. You really want meaningful and authentic conversation. This means sharing your own successes and failures, being authentic, and as well as talking about what you're learning from your current mentoring relationship. Another big piece of advice is to check out assumptions and hunches. You know, we act on our assumptions, whether they're valid or they're invalid. And when they're invalid, it undermines trust and communication. So I advise people that if you you sense something is missing 
or it's not going well, you're probably right. And you should address those issues as soon as possible. Simply stating, I want to check out my assumption, which is whatever it is, that's going to prevent you from assuming that your mentee is on track. So if you are questioning something, if you're assuming something, using this language of I want to check out my assumption is very powerful. So pay attention to what's in your gut. You also want to support and challenge your mentee. So work on creating a comfortable relationship first before you launch into the uncomfortable stretch you need for that deep learning. That's really the emphasis and the focus of this program. So with that support, you're going to be able to help a mentee stretch and go for that deep learning. Mentees need to feel supported and yet be challenged. So supported, that's the comfort, and yet be challenged. That's a little uncomfortable. So they grow and develop. It's also important that you set the the expectation that there's going to be two-way feedback. Candid feedback is really a, a very powerful trigger for stimulating growth and change. So set the, expe- the expectation early on. And as a mentor, you need to be prepared to offer candid feedback balanced with compassion. Let me say that again. Balance, compassion, and candor. That's an art. So model how you ask for feedback and receive it by asking your mentee for specific feedback on your own mentoring contribution. And it's also important to check in regularly to, to, to make sure that you're on track. Don't wait until something happens. What you want to do is keep connected and develop a pattern of regular engagement and checking in. So it's both partners, not just the mentor, not just the mentee that needs to be accountable for following through on agreements. So by holding an open and honest conversation about how you're doing and what you need to improve, you're going to encourage mutual accountability and deepen the relationship. So those are my top 10 best practices. What do you think about that? That's a lot. That's, I mean, it, it strikes me that I understand why you say the mentor learns a lot because this is asking a lot to be able to do, to ask really good questions, to listen very carefully, to keep the conversation meaningful, not on the surface level, that you're checking out your assumptions, which means you have to tune into them, that you're both supporting and challenging, getting feedback. I mean, that's a lot to be doing. Absolutely. And, you know, I, um, an image came to mind of a mentor that I spoke with um, years ago when we were doing a research study, and we were asking the mentors to reflect on what they had learned in the relationship. And the, uh, we've heard this comment of time and time again, and the mentor said, you know, I was always aware of the fact that I wanted to give the answer because it would have been easier, it would have been quicker for me. And the biggest learning for me was to hold back. And when I realized how much ownership and how much space and how much clarity it gave the mentee, I began to do that with my own team. And instead of always telling them what to do, engaging them with questions and how powerful that, that learning has been to me 
not only immediately applying it, but years later. Wow. I can see that. It makes me question some of my behaviors as a coach, even every now and then, um, how much I am actually really doing all of these things at the same time. Okay, so briefly, Lois, you gave us a lovely description of what the mentor's job is. What's the mentee's role? Just briefly. Okay, so just briefly, I think the mentee has to focus on achieving their learning goals. A big one is a mentee should expect to drive the mentoring relationship. One of the reasons mentees don't get what they, what they want from a mentoring relationship is because they don't ask for it. They assume sometimes that their mentors are, are there for all reasons and all seasons and are mind readers. I think being authentic, open, and honest is really important. And sometimes... It's difficult for us to be that way with ourselves, and if we can't be that way with ourselves, it's hard to be that way with others. Another quick piece of advice is to come prepared for all mentoring meetings. I think that advanced preparation is going to save time, it's going to make meetings more efficient, and the learning will be much more uh, meaningful. You also want to stay connected and in communication with your mentor. That's really important. So utilize multiple ways to stay connected. Be willing to stretch and step outside that comfort zone. So also ask for specific feedback. Remember, mentoring is about focusing on the future. So stay that way and stay focused on the future. Don't get bogged down in the day-to-day issues. And keep a journal. I think for mentees, to, and I would also say this is also true for mentors, because when I mentor people, I keep a journal. But keeping a, a, a notes of conversations that help you reflect on your learning also helps you track your mentoring progress. So a journal is a great place to record insights and, and questions before your meeting, but also to reflect on that and prepare for future meetings. Fabulous. Do you have a recommended time frame for how long you should go between meetings? Here's the rule of thumb. Consistent and regular. More meetings at the beginning of the mentoring relationship or more, more frequent meetings, let me say that. So in a, one of the programs we're working with now, there is a minimum of a monthly meeting. And in the beginning... Many of the mentoring relationships met twice a month for an hour. Some of those mentoring relationships, they met two hours and one hour. But what's important is that meetings be frequent. They be, uh, I would say, more frequent at the beginning, that they be consistent. And one rule of thumb is to always have a meeting date on the calendar. For some reason, it's easier to set dates when you already have one on the calendar than to keep renegotiating those dates. Okay, fabulous. Well, lots of advice there, Lois, in terms of what the mentor is doing. We're going to take a break, but just to summarize a couple of highlights here, this is about the mentor really learning to focus on the mentee's learning goals, to listen, to ask questions, to check assumptions, to both support and challenge to build that trusting relationship and then to ask for feedback as well as give feedback. We're going to take a break. When we come back, 
We're going to focus on mentoring across the divide, whether that's a generational or a gender or a cultural divide. With me is Lois Zachary. The book is The Mentor's Guide or the more recent one, Starting Strong, A Mentoring Fable. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. We've been talking about mentoring. With me today is Lois Zachary. She's an internationally recognized expert on mentoring, one of the top 100 minds in leadership. The two books we've been describing are The Mentor's Guide, which is a primary resource for both organizations and mentors on what this process should look like. But equally, Starting Strong, a mentoring fable, describes what a great mentoring relationship really looks like from the inside and why this process that Lois has been describing is so critical to get right and what can go wrong with it. 
And then lastly, I just want to highlight another book called Creating a Mentoring Culture, which is a guide for organizations in thinking about what you can do within the organization to create a culture that fosters and encourages mentoring as a practice in general. So for this segment, we've talked already about what the mentees can do, what the mentee's role is, what the mentor's role is, what the cycle of a mentoring relationship looks like. And what strikes me out of all of this is how much thought and care needs to go into preparing for the relationship and for each conversation, the goals, the practice, the mutual learning, and the feedback. I want to focus now on mentoring across divides. There's a lot being written about millennials, a lot of conversation about millennials, and a lot of conversation about mentoring millennials and reverse mentoring, where millennials um, mentor more senior executives. So, Lois, what's your experience with the millennials and the mentoring relationships? Well, I think that that, uh, millennials or Gen Ys crave mentoring. They come into the workplace looking for that touch. So it's important, uh, and they come, in, they come in asking for it and creating mentoring groups. So one of the things that's important is to let them, and when you're mentoring Gen Ys, to let them know that what they do really matters. Secondly, I think you need to tell them the truth, not not pull the wool over their eyes. It's also important to get them on board by explaining the why of what you're asking them to do and tell them what's in it for them so they understand it and they own it. If you're mentoring a Gen Y, it's also important to learn their language and communicate in terms that they understand. You also need to be looking for rewarding opportunities. Again, they are looking for meaning. They also crave feedback, and not just every once in a while, but frequently. It's important to praise millennials in public, to make them a star, to encourage fun in the workplace. It's important as a mentor to model the behaviors you want, and it's important not to be a Luddite, to be techno-literate, and to be curious about learning about it and using it. So it's really um, important to give mentees who are millennials opportunity, ownership, and a voice. Wow. Well, and and just in terms of, you know, it is challenging because they hold a different view of mentoring than previous generations. Um, They they view mentoring more as a way to learn and collaborate than as a way to advance their career. They they tend more to use peers, Internet, blog as a source of learning rather than supervisors or trainers. And... You know, as I, as I indicated before, they rely on technology to solve immediate issues, both personally and professionally, and they're less interested in what was and more interested in what could be. Okay. 
That certainly strikes with my resonates with me for sure on what I've seen for the millennials. There's a lot that's said about them being entitled, and I find that they're not so much entitled that that's our judgment on it, but that they do indeed crave the feedback. But now make it fair feedback, make it regular feedback, make it constructive. They don't love the criticism, but it's not that they just have to have praise. They want to know what do I really have to do right here and now to make a difference. So one of the things, Wanda, that strikes me is how important it is for mentees to set the climate and the expectation of feedback so that when somebody's engaged in the relationship, all of a sudden a mentor said, I want to give you some feedback or how would you like some feedback, instead of them going, whoa, what did I do wrong, there's an expectation. Okay. So that would be another thing that we discuss in advance, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, what it's going to look like, what the causes and purposes are. Okay? You're right on. Spot on. Okay. And then, you know, for those of us who don't understand their language, and I think that's important to be able, it's always important to be able to speak to someone else in their language. Any suggestions for learning more about the men, the millennials' language? Well, I think to come to the like come to the relationship with curiosity. If you don't understand something and a millennial uses a term or uh, an acronym that you're not familiar with, just allow your ignorance to shine through and say, you know, I really want to understand where you're coming from. Can you explain? Or I'm not familiar with that. Or could you show me how that's done? Or can you help me understand? And that is adds to the learning of the mentor. So often, again, when we talk with mentors after they've been in a mentoring relationship, one of the things they talk about is their own expanded perspective and the fact that they've gotten to see things and experience things that they weren't brought up with, that they weren't acculturated to, that they don't do. So it gets them outside and it freshens their thinking and enables them, the mentor, to bring more understanding to their job and to the people that they work with. Makes sense to me. Um, I can think about all sorts of ways in which it's not so much that it's reverse mentoring. It's just that when you're doing this relationship in a very thoughtful way, you're going to learn, as you said at the beginning, along with everyone else. Absolutely. Now, you said it's important to explain the why of what you're asking people to do and what it's in for the millennials. Can you just say, like, one minute on why is that so important for millennials? I think the why is very motivating. If I tell you to do something, uh, go out and, and gather feedback from two or three people, that's what I think you ought to do. There's no nothing. I, I need to understand why. What is it going to do for me? Why is it worthy of my effort? How is it going to enhance what's going on? So it's going to motivate me, other than, rather than it being something that my mentor is telling me what to do. It's going to motivate me, and it's also going to motivate me to ask questions and to engage in conversation. Okay. That presumably also allows the millennial to say, well, what about doing some other things that they would find more natural, like an internet search or collaborating with peers or so forth? Absolutely. You're right on. Okay. Um, one, you got one minute. Any other advice on crossing other divides like culture or gender? 
I would say that it's very important to create awareness and understanding, and it's on many levels. You know, you think not only in terms of generation, there's gender, there's age. Um, Age is sometimes, we might say that it's gender, but there's also this age factor and age cohort. So you may have a 60-year-old who's mentoring a 30-year-old. Important to understand. Important to understand uh, the life experiences. Important to understand whether someone is a person who, because of their cultural background, needs to get to the point, or uh, it's a question of implied messages, whether culturally somebody is attuned to following order, Uh, following orders rather than determining their own best path, whether culturally you withhold emotion, whether you express emotion, whether you're about the team or you're about the individual. So it's really important to understand, as I said before, who is coming to the relationship. We see the tip of the iceberg. What's important is to explore... what's underneath that. Again, that allows you to walk in the mentee's shoes, and it allows the mentee to walk in the mentor's shoes. So, Lois, thank you. I get the point. There's a lot to understand about the awareness. Thank you. Fabulous conversation, Lois. Thank you for joining us today. I think the thing that strikes me the most out of this is the recognition of the four cycles that you have to go through and the preparedness that's required. So join us next week to continue our conversations on getting out of the comfort zone. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.